Now, when it comes to you living what you picture as your absolute best possible life, what are the obstacles that you think get in the way of that, the things that keep you back? Um, probably one popular one is money. You know, the dreams that we have for how we want to live our life, usually the, one of the biggest limiting factors is how much is in the bank account. You know, you think with more money I could travel, uh, with maybe unlimited money I could have the house of my dreams, in the place of my dreams. Your house could be in the vacation spot of your dreams. You could kind of combine the two. Uh, maybe you think I'd have the car that I've always wanted, the entertainment system, all the gadgets that you've always wanted. Um, maybe you think with more money. I could hire both a personal chef and a maid, so I would never have to cook or clean a dish ever again. Uh, that sounds real good. Uh, and, you know, it, you might think, well, the thing that gets in my way is my job, okay? The hours aren't great, maybe your, your boss is a pain, or the environment's stressful, or you don't get enough vacation, or, or whatever it might be, and so you think, if I had a better job, then maybe I would be happy. Uh, maybe the thing that gets in the way of your best life, your happiness isn't a thing at all, but it's a person or people. Maybe you have some people in your life. That was, by the way, Abby, totally a, totally a coincidence that you walked in right as I said that. My wife is not the problem in my life. That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, eh. um, but some people, um, but maybe you have people in your life who are a little extra needy and they always seem to bring chaos into your life, and you're always kind of bailing on them out of their mess and cleaning up their uh, stuff, and you kind of think, if they could get their act together, I could focus on me and kind of get my life the way I've always wanted my life to be. And what's interesting, though, is when you think about what's keeping me back from my best life or the happiest life or however you want to word it, almost immediately the thing you're going to think about or the things you're going to think about are the things that are out here. The, the situations that are bad in your life, the people that are a problem in your life, we almost instantly assume that it's those things that are without, and very few of us immediately are going to list something that's going on within. And you think, well, I'm not the problem. I'm the only one doing what's right. I'm the only one who's got my act together in this crazy mess of a world. And so we assume that if other people got their mess sorted out, your life would come together. And, and you know, you wouldn't create any mess. You wouldn't mess anything up. And you kind of assume, like I do, that if you had all the freedom and resources to do what you wanted to do, that you would do everything right. You would make the smartest decisions, the wisest decisions that always led to your life being happy. And this assumption that you would do the right thing is why we all end up so incredibly baffled when we see people who don't have those limits live their life. They have all the money, they have houses in the best places, everything in their life is great, they have success upon success, and we are so baffled watching their lives implode, because they'll do something that just totally destroys everything, brings everything crumbling down, and we sit there and go, how in the world could they be so dumb? Who would do such a thing? You know, we'll see a celebrity who blows their fortune on a drug problem or someone who destroys their entire family and career with an affair or the athlete who makes millions upon millions but spends so extravagantly and eagerly that at the end of their career, they're broke. And you think, they're dumb. If I were in their situation, I would have done it right. If I were in their shoes, I would have, I know what I would, I'd never end up like them in a million years. And so we think they're morons. But what if you and I are not that different from them? And if you're paying attention, I kind of just hinted that we're morons. 
Like what, but what if we're not that different from these people? What if you and I aren't smarter or more moral or more wise? What if we don't have the ability to make the good decisions like we think we do? What if the things that get in the way of us living that best life that we hope for aren't the things necessarily that exist without, but things that exist within each of us? And this is why, despite your confidence that you do the right thing and my confidence that I do the right thing, this is why we have those moments where we look back and we go, what was I thinking? In that moment, in that season, what was I thinking? Or why did I say that? Why did that even come out of my mouth? What could I, or why did I listen? They tried to tell me, everybody tried to tell me. My mom told me, my dad told me, my sister told me, my best friends told me. They all tried to tell me, and I didn't listen. I thought I was the only one smart among all my friends. Why didn't I listen? That's the reason why, time and time again, we've ignored the people trying to help, and we ended up doing things that were extraordinarily dumb. Because inside each and every one of us are emotions that drive bad decisions, that drive our bad behaviors, that drive our bad desires that we struggle to say no to. And not good emotions, obviously, but emotions that flare up and tend to hijack our brains at those pivotal moments when we get led to do those things that are unwise, things that are incredibly painful for us, and things that ultimately can oftentimes be harmful to others. And it's these emotions that just kind of grab a hold of us, and they get the steering wheel of our life, and they really keep you from living maybe not the life that you've pictured, but the life that you need, and the life that your soul craves, and the life that God wants you to have, the the kind of life that, that Jesus died for you to be able to walk and live, a life of freedom in ways that you've never experienced before. And so today we're going to begin a brand new teaching series called From Within. And we're going to talk about these kinds of things. And really, this idea gets at the very heart of the gospel. Like, we shouldn't be surprised at this sort of thing. Because one of the main elements of the gospel story is that deep down every human is broken. Deep down, we are broken and weighed and corrupted with sin. And that the desires of our heart, the emotions, the drive behind the deepest parts of who we are, there's something about it that when God made it, it was perfect and good, but sin has skewed that and and marred it in certain ways. And we need help. Uh, The Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah said it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things. That means that, that you can trick yourself into thinking you're doing what's right even when you're doing what's wrong. That you can trick yourself that you're spending money in the best way possible when everybody can see clearly that you're being dumb. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who can understand it? I'm so glad he added that last part because, I mean, I'm not the only one. That's why we ask, what was I thinking? Because you were tricked. And you look back and you go, I look back on what I told myself and it doesn't make sense. How did I fall for that? It's so incredibly sneaky. And so one of the main obstacles that you're going to face in life, it's not the outside things, but the inside things. And this is something that Jesus deeply understood, and he was repeatedly trying to get people away from thinking about looks and the outside of things and just behaving the right way. And he was trying to get us to always think deeper and look at what's going on in our hearts. And he made it clear that you could look good on the outside and be a total colossal mess on the inside. And so we're going to go to a story 
in Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus makes this incredibly clear. Now, what's interesting is it doesn't really seem like Jesus just sat down to teach this lesson. Rather, something happens to him, and he uses the opportunity. And so to get to the main point, we kind of got to go on this kind of little circuitous winding path of Jesus taking this weird circumstance and, and using it to teach this incredibly powerful lesson that, again, is so obvious when you're looking at other people. You know other people's hearts lie to them. You know other people tend to make decisions that are obviously dumb, and you know they're lying to themselves. But when you look at yourself, I don't ever think I do this, and you don't think you do it. But Jesus, that's why I think he hit this over and over again, so that he could try to get us to think a little deeper. So let's go to Matthew chapter 15. If you want to grab a Bible, feel free. If you want to use your phone and your favorite Bible app, uh, that's going to be great as well. Or the verses will be on the screen. Uh, So Jesus, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. He says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? That part's important. For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, your first thought, if you have ever been around little kids, is, ew, gross. Come on, Jesus, get it together. Why would you not teach these guys? They're grown men. Can't you get these guys to, like, wash their hands? That's nasty. People are, you got to wash your hands before you eat, okay? But we know a lot more about dirt and grime and sickness than they do. That wasn't necessarily the main thing they thought of in this moment, okay? Um, Now, the Pharisees were a denomination of ancient Judaism, okay? That was a a group of them, you know? Like, we have different churches with different denominations. The Pharisees were one group among all the Jewish people, And, and so they were obsessed with following rules in order to be considered holy, to be considered clean and good, not just before God, but around other people. They loved looking good for other people. Now, not all of them. I'm sure some of them had a a good heart about this, but, you know, there's always, it gets skewed. Our hearts are deceptive, and so things can get sideways. And so a lot of them just wanted to look good for other people. They wanted to look holy to other people. They wanted to look holier than other people, because then they can walk in and be like, I'm the good person. You know, I'm the good witch. You're all the wicked witches, you know, because I do, I do all the things you don't do. And so they come in, and so that's their main thing. And they get on to Jesus saying, why do you guys break the tradition of the elders? Now, the Pharisees followed two sets of rules. One was the Old Testament law of Moses, which is found in the first five books of the Bible. But they also had this uh, set of laws and rules that had been made up over centuries called the tradition of the elders. These were not God's laws, but they were, I think, probably originally created for good-hearted purposes, to help people obey God and stay clean and, and not desecrate themselves and defile themselves. But again, over time, they made so much of following the rules to look good that they kind of got their priorities out of whack. And so they get on to Jesus and his men for not washing their hands. So their concern was not, ew, what kind of dirt are you putting in your mouth that's going to get you sick? That wasn't the concern. They were concerned with being ceremonially clean. Now, if you've ever read the New Testament or the Old Testament, you hear the words clean and unclean a lot. And that doesn't just mean like how you feel after a good shower. Oh, I'm finally so clean. Or after a hard day of work, oh, I'm so dirty. No, they they mean a, a level of purity that 
allows you to enter the presence of God when, you go to the, when they would go to the temple to perform sacrifices or to bring something to the priest to do a sacrifice. So to be ceremonially clean meant that you could engage in that sort of upper-level spiritual engagement with God. To be unclean meant that you couldn't without going through some cleaning religious hoops. But here's the thing. Most people were unclean a lot. There was a lot of normal, everyday stuff that made you unclean. Unclean did not mean sinner. Unclean did not mean there was anything wrong with you or that you'd even done anything wrong. For instance, touching a dead body made you ceremonially unclean because God is all about life and death is a consequence of the fall and so God did not want death entering into his presence in the temple. That was kind of a separation, right? And so um, if you sat with a family member that you loved and you held their hand as a moment of comfort in the last moments of their life, the moment that they breathed their last breath, you were ceremonially unclean because you touched a dead body. That doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make you a sinner. You call the neighbors over to help you bury your father. That, does, that means they're unclean. Everybody who touched the body was unclean. Anybody who had a part in it was unclean. It doesn't mean that you're wrong or evil or anything. But again, the Pharisees had gotten so obsessed with following the rules that they started to equate unclean with sin, or at the very least, clean with, I'm better than you if you're not clean. And so um, their worry was that if you touched something that was unclean, they had a belief, this is in in the Bible, it's part of the tradition of the elders, that your hands could become unclean while the rest of you could stay clean. I guess that's because our hands are so busy and we touch a lot of stuff. And they figured you could touch something that's unclean without realizing it. That's why they wanted people to wash their hands before they ate. Because the fear was, your unclean hands. Boy, that would be a good gift, wouldn't it? Unclean hands, okay? You take your unclean hands, you touch a good, clean piece of food, make it unclean. And then you take that unclean food and put it in your mouth and therefore make your whole body unclean. And so the belief was, your hands are unclean, wash them so you don't get unclean. That was what the worry was, okay? But they had elevated their laws to a point where these, the traditions of the elders were on the same level with God's commands. And so um, Jesus comes in. He's just sitting there doing what he's doing, teaching his disciples, crowd of people. And these guys come up and try to embarrass him and blast him and make him look bad. And Jesus just totally flips the whole thing on them. And he's kind of merciless, like, it's pretty brutal. Like, these are like the, the top dogs. Everybody's like, oh, the priests are here. The Pharisees, oh, my gosh. Let's listen to what they have to say. And Jesus just destroys them in front of everybody. It'd be like the bully coming up and, and giving you a hard time in the cafeteria at school, and then you just do something to totally humiliate the bully and flip the script in front of everyone. It's just kind of brutal. But they were trying to catch Jesus because of the deceit in their hearts, and he just tries to... Um, let everybody see what's really important. So let's keep going in verse 3. He said, he didn't even answer them about the hands thing. He just says, and he answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God? Not the tradition of the elders, but the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, and this won't make sense, but I'll explain it in a minute. For God commanded, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He is given to God, excuse me. He need not honor his father and mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. 
So basically, this is Jesus. Just They called him out on breaking their traditions. Well, he gives an example of how these Pharisees have been breaking the laws of God and using their traditions as an excuse. Um, and he uses like one of the top commandments, like the Ten Commandments, like the big ones, like the ones Moses carried down on the stone tablets. Moses, I mean, he was, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, or last week, he was 80 by the time this happened. So he's 80 plus, and God's like, carry these two big old stone tablets down the mountain. Like, I'm, we climbed a mountain a few weeks ago in Washington, and every now and then Eleanor would be like, Dad, carry me. It's like, no, I can't do it. Like, she's a little kid, and she's bone. Like, she's so skinny, right? Can't imagine, like, Moses trying to make it down the mountain carrying these two stone tablets. And, and so these are the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, you guys are breaking one of the most important rules, the, one of the first rules God gave you. Honor your father and mother. And one of the ways they did that in that culture, um, because there was no hospitals, no nursing homes, was that when your parents got older and couldn't work or couldn't take care of themselves, they were under the care of their children. And it was the children's responsibility, uh, who were now adults, to take care of their parents, to feed them, to work for them, to, to provide them clothing and shelter and all the necessities of life until their life was over. That was the responsibility. Um, but apparently the Pharisees were so valuing the traditions and the following the rules and staying clean. And there was apparently, again, it's, we just kind of have to piece this together because we don't have all the details that these people would have understood in their culture. But apparently what was happening was they had uh, so valued people who made grand vows to give great amounts of money or possessions to the temple. And so what seems to be happening here is that they would take uh, these great vows, these Pharisees would say, I'm going to give this great amount to the church, or to the temple, excuse me, I'm going to give to the temple, and then they'd go to mom and dad and say, hey, by the way, I just promised all that money I was going to use to take care of you to the temple. So, sorry, you're on your own. And so their parents who were aging, who could not take care of themselves, they would just be like, well, this was my responsibility, but sorry, mom and dad, I, I picked the better thing. I gave your money to God. I mean, you really can't complain that I took what was yours and gave it to God, can you? I mean, how can you argue with that? And so they were forsaking their responsibility to honor their father and mother to make these impressive vows and give to the temple. And so Jesus says, you're taking this lower thing, this, this, this tradition, and you're using it to look good, to make yourself look amazing to people, and you're ignoring these amazing responsibilities that God put on you for the good of all people. Now, maybe this started because mom and dad were horrible parents, and they just thought, I'll show them. I don't know. Maybe it was just somebody who thought, I just want to look good. I want to, I want to do the right thing. It could have been uh, gone both ways. But either way, the result was a much less important tradition being broken, or used as an excuse to break the much more important commands of God. And so what's kind of happened here? is how, how much Jesus has flipped the script, okay? This is like them saying, Jesus, we caught you wearing white after Labor Day. And then him being like, okay, well, how about this security camera footage of you robbing three banks? Like, it's like that kind of a flip of the script that just took place here. And they're all like, uh, I mean, and you don't hear anything more out of the Pharisees here. And it's so shocking. His, his disciples can't even believe it. They're like, what did we just watch go down? Like, is this even okay? Like, who's even right here? Like, they, didn't even, they weren't even sure Jesus was doing the right thing because he was letting the Pharisees have it so hard. And so he even goes on and rubs salt in the wound that he's just created for them. And he says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophecy of you when he said, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Meaning they look good, but inside they're not. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They've elevated their traditions to like they were commands from God. And so he, again, rubs salt in the wound. And then Jesus is like, okay, everybody come over here. Forget those guys. I'm going to tell you like it really is. Let me teach you something really important. And he teaches kind of the main point. He says in verse 10, he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand. Meaning like, listen, please listen. He says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And the disciples are so busy being like, he just like obliterated the Pharisees. They don't even like, at first they can't even pay attention to what he's just said. It says, disciples came to him and they said to him, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying this? And Jesus is like, like did, Jesus, do you know you just like really upset them? And Jesus is like, yes, carry on. And he says, and he kind of redirects again and, and rips on the Pharisees again. He says, he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. He's saying, I'm trying to help you guys see. Right now you're blind. If you follow them, blind leading the blind. So pay attention. Listen to what I have to say to you. And they say, okay, okay. What did you just say? What was that whole thing you just said about what goes into the mouth and what comes out? And so I love that, that how this you know, all plays out. Because Jesus, you upset him, right? Yes, I don't care about that. Carry on. Pay attention to what I'm trying to teach you. And, and what he's showing is that they... The Pharisees, and the people respected the Pharisees because they, they walked around, so many of them, looking holy, looking so good, looking like the people to follow, the people to learn from. And Jesus is like, no, they are so incredibly wrong. He tells them looks can be deceiving. And what's so interesting is that we live in a world that is so looks-oriented, incredibly looks-oriented. Um, I mean, we can just look around at like all the religious con men that have existed throughout the decades who ran giant churches, who wore nice clothes, who looked incredibly successful, wrote books, got on TV, told everybody how they needed to live to please God, and then inside you find out their, the fame had been corroding and crushing them secretly until everything implodes while they're stealing money or abusing people or having affairs. Um, they look successful. On the outside, but the inside was different. And so often, we're, we love the flash. We love the lights. We love the thing. What's interesting is um, for the last, what, I don't know, 30, 40 years, churches have been, uh, people call it cool church. Uh, lights and everything's got to be polished and nice and productions and, and that kind of stuff. Um, what's interesting is the new generation, the Gen Zs, the younger ones who've come up, who are raising up, they don't care about that. They've seen flash and bang and everything from the moment they were born. They've seen ads. They've been tried to, everybody tries to fool them to buy things and like things. They don't care anymore. They're, they're, there's like, it's, I, honestly, even though Gen Z tends to be the generation that is the least churched at this point in time, they are able to see more clearly than those who have came before them. Um, because we get so enamored with the flash and the looks when we're starting to see the consequences of what happens when we focus on just the looks. And now we have social media that tells you all that matters is the picture that you post. And you got to have this nice, clean, put-together, perfect life, because then otherwise, what will people think? 
And so you go into your living room, you scoot all the junk to one side of the room behind you, you get out your phone, you tell your kids to get over here, you yell at them for 15 minutes to sit still and smile a certain way, you take 20 pictures, one of them looks good, and that's the one you put online as if that represents reality. That's what we do. That's the culture we live in. Because looks are more important than substance. And Jesus is trying to bust us apart and kill that and say, no, you guys have got to look deeper. If you're my follower, there's more problems going on than, what, than how things look. And so too often we are uh, more concerned with looking like a good parent than being a good parent. Then looking like a good husband or wife, then being a good husband or wife. Then looking like a godly person, then being a godly person. You know, well, you, you maybe, maybe you had a rough morning and you fought with your family all the way here in the car. And, and this, if you hadn't, then we, we'd be here on time. If you, and, you, and then you get out of the car and you walk in the door and everybody smiles because we're church. That's what you do. Looks Got to look good at church. How you doing? Doing good. God's good. Amen, brother. You know, we, we do that, right? Because heaven forbid, heaven forbid we focus on something more important than how things look and what people think. And so, you know, we'll have people that, and again, I'm guilty of this stuff. I'm not just like ripping on people. This is, these are temptations to the look rather than to do the hard work of getting at the heart of the issue. You know, one of the things is it's so easy to share and post little pretty looking Bible quotes or Spiritual looking quotes with a beautiful background of the sun shining through the trees in an autumn wood, right? And we post these things, we like these things, we share these things, and never open the Bible. Like, again, looking but not being. And so we've allowed ourselves to embrace this ridiculous idea that what really matters is looks. And, and over and over again, and this has been going on for thousands of years, Jesus says, no, there's something deeper going on, and that's what you need to pay attention to. And he goes to reveal a powerful lesson about the most dangerous enemies that you're going to face in your life. So in verse 15, they say, okay, what was that thing, Jesus? Explain that parable to us. Well, what was that about what goes into your mouth not defiling you, but what comes out of your mouth defiling you? Like, are you talking about throwing up? Like, what? That is gross. We don't like that. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And he says, oh. Are you also still without understanding? Some translations say, are you still dull? Like, I kind of like that a little bit, but I don't know if that's accurate. But he says, uh, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? He's talking about going to the bathroom. He's like, come on, kids get this. You eat food, your body squishes it up, and it comes out the other end. He's like, it goes in your body, and it comes out of your body. That's the end of it. He's like, but what comes out of the body, or what comes out of the mouth, excuse me, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And so he's saying the greatest problems you're going to face in your life are not those people at work. It's not that bad situation. It's not losing your job. It's not all this stuff that you make excuses about. The greatest things that are plaguing you are living inside your heart. The biggest obstacles, your greatest obstacles that you will face are those that live in your heart. The evil, the sin that lives in your heart. Same is true of me. Your problem, my problem, are the evil things that live inside of us that will eventually find their way out. 
no matter how nice and good you try to look. Those circumstances that we blame for our problems, no, those just cracked open the door so that what was inside could squeak its way out. That, that frustrating thing that somebody did that caused you to just unload on them, it wasn't their fault. That was the evil in your heart. Yeah, it was a bad situation. It was frustrating and upsetting or whatever, but your reaction, the way you blew up, that wasn't, that wasn't them. That was you. The source of your defiling, your offensive, your problematic words and deeds, that's what comes from within you. And it's in those moments, you know, when those things happen, those outside things happen, when life kind of falls apart or somebody's rude or does something to you, it's just in those moments when you drop your guard because you're frustrated. You're not paying attention as much in those moments to how you look. You're too busy and like, oh, life, ugh, life, and it causes you to overflow, and they show you how uh, angry you are, petty you are, jealous you are, fearful you are, selfish you are. All of those things. And it's in those moments when you aren't watching your behavior quite as closely because some high emotion circumstance kind of tricked you for a moment, distracted you for a moment. It's in those moments that your heart shows who you truly are. You know, if you've ever said, I didn't mean to say that. that you, you're almost right. You didn't mean to say it out loud. You, you might have said it to someone else, maybe not to their face. They just, I didn't mean to say that to you at this moment, but chances are that was probably already somewhere creeping around in your heart. And of all your worst moments, of all your problematic decisions, all those things that you said, again, that you claim that you didn't mean to say, uh, those things didn't happen because of the bad situation, how someone treated you. They happened because it was already lurking deep within your heart. And that situation or the way that the person treated you, again, that just allowed the stress. That was just the stress moment that made it easier for your heart to show through. And, and what's interesting about some of this stuff and, and what makes kind of this stuff tricky talking about um, still in this part of the country because we are where we live. We think we're a little bit of a tougher part of the country, right? You think of like, the coasts and cities were like, those city people, they've never done work in their life. They don't know. I was having a conversation yesterday with somebody about the butter cow at the fair. Did you see that cow? It's like this wide. And I was like, yeah, that's somebody who's heard of a cow but never been around a cow. You know, that's kind of like because they don't live right. Where, you know, it's like, because we, we're better. Like, there's like this part of us where we think we're tougher. We're the hardworking. Like, we get in the dirt and we make things happen and we lift stuff and we, we do work. And so you talk about the emotions and the heart around here. And we kind of like, uh, sounds a little bit like psychological fluff. Just brush your shoulders off and, and get back to work, right? But this isn't fluff. This isn't psychological nonsense. These are the words of Jesus. This is Jesus, our creator, our savior, saying, you have a problem. In your heart, and those moments when you let loose, when things cause you to lose control and lash out, that is just your heart being set free in a moment when you lose control. And so if you want to get your life in order, you don't start by getting the better job. You don't start by uh, dealing with the people that frustrate you. You don't start by trying to get as much money as you possibly can. No, you need to start within yourself. So for the next few weeks, each of the few weeks, we're going to pick an emotion that tends to be one of those big ones that causes us to kind of implode in certain moments or hurt others um, and wreak havoc in our lives. Um, so we're actually not going to talk about that today. Today's just kind of set up for all of what's to come for the rest of this series. Um, but here's what I want you to do in the meantime. So this week, as you leave and go through your work week and encounter all those frustrating people as you go to that 
pain in the rear job, as you deal with all the things that make you think my life could be happy if I didn't have this thing. All I want you to do is pay attention to what's going on in your heart. If you're in a bad mood, mad, if you're in a bad mood at work, pay attention to your heart. Ask, why do I feel this way? Like, why do I feel this way? Like, am, do I feel like I'm owed something better in this moment? Like, what is going on? What is making me feel this way? What's making me so angry? When you're panicking about what other people will think of you, if you post that other picture where everyone's not looking perfectly happy, like when you worry about, oh, I went to pick up my kids at school and I didn't even put shoes on before I left the house, and here I am buckling my kid into her car seat with socks on. Whoa, what are people going to think? When you're in that moment panicking, ask, what's going, what is really happening in my heart? What am I really fearing that they're going to think or say about me? When you see someone fail and you kind of enjoy it, when that person at work that you've always not liked gets fired, and you go, finally, what is that? Ask, what's going on in here? Why did I enjoy that guy's worst day. Why did I enjoy that just now? Ask, pay attention, what's going on in your heart? And stop blaming how you feel and stop blaming how other circumstances are happening. Stop blaming that on how you treat people, on, how, on the things you say to people, and how you react. It's not those things that's truly the problem. You need to learn to appreciate what's going on in your heart and the power that has in your life. And... When we do that, when we start really understanding what's inside of me, what's going on in my heart is a big deal, and it really has a lot of power over how I act and treat other people, and that Jesus isn't just satisfied with my behavior. That's, when, that's why Jesus quoted Isaiah. You got the right words, but your hearts are a mess, and, and your worship is not worthy of me. Jesus is not concerned with our behavior, with you putting a certain amount of offering in the, in the basket, with you getting here a certain number of times a week, with you making sure you're, you keep your fights on the other side of the doors on your way to, when you come into church. That kind of stuff is not as important to Jesus as what is living in your heart, and he wants access to shape not just your behavior, but how you look at life and feel what's going on around you. And when you do that, when we do that, we're going to find a level of freedom and joy and happiness that we've never experienced before. Uh, freedom that makes you a better person. Freedom that makes you a better person to be around. But, and freedom that makes you better in a way that's more substantial, not just skin deep. But that kind of stuff can only happen when we are ready to admit that the biggest obstacles we have come from within. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would be fully surrendered to the work you want to do in us and through us by your Holy Spirit. You have given us the amazing gift of your Spirit to come and give us um, the power to say no to the sinful cravings of our heart and to change how we look and feel about things. And I just pray that we would be people who aren't just concerned about behavior and looks and, and things that are just surface deep, but we would be truly surrendered to you so that you can remake us from the inside out, so that when we serve people, we truly serve out of a heart to give and don't serve and then go home and complain about all the things we had to do. I pray that we can be people that when we give, we give with joy, not out of fear or uh, being upset that maybe someone else isn't given as much as we do or being proud that we gave more than someone else. I pray that we would have 
just true, pure motives, that, that our hearts would be surrendered to you so that we aren't overwhelmed with jealousy and anger and fear and guilt and greed, but rather we can have a, a heart that loves and trusts you in all circumstances so that we can find joy independent of what's going on in our life, that we can find joy when life deals us a bad hand. We can find joy when we're around people that make life difficult. We can find joy when the life we pictured and dreamed doesn't come to reality. We can still find joy through you. But again, that's only going to happen when we let go of being surface-level people and we let you do the hard work in our hearts. So please let us be more aware of what's going on in our hearts so that we can surrender that to the work of your spirit and be remade into the image of Jesus so that we can love like him and live like him. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.